I actually remember to turn off the auto-ducking this time. Or turn it on, I mean. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or it's William Goodbury. This is Eagle Eyes on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. We've got a lot to talk about today, including... One story that I said I would hold off on. And, well... The deadline has come and gone that I set to and mass entertainment to answer my questions. The only response I got out of them was one person saying, I will forward this to the proper people. Because, uh, unfortunately, en masse does not make it very easy to contact the staff directly. So, I used every outlet available, including their tech support. Tech support was literally the only person who responded to my letter. The only one. They said they'd forward it to the proper people. I don't know whether they did or didn't. If they did, then those proper people also chose to ignore my questions. So, I'm just going to go forward with only the story I have based on their press releases alone. Enmass Entertainment is a publishing company for various video games. One of the most notable ones is Terra. Terra Online was one of the first action RPG massive multi multiplayer online games there are. And it was originally created by Blue Hole Studio. Another gaming company that, admittedly, I'm not too fond of just because they make very buggy code. And then, as they showed with Player Unknown Battlegrounds, they make promises and then, months later, break those promises. Such as never going loot boxes until the game actually fully releases. And then weeks after that, while still in the beta, release loot boxes. But here's where we start. Ever since the dawn of Terra Online, there has been connection issues with their servers. Giant lag spikes, high ping, which is untolerable in a game like Terra that requires split-second movements in order to not die in a dungeon or high-end raid encounter.
in order to counter the terrible connection to the servers, the Terra North American community developed what was called Terra Proxy, a third-party tool that used a proxy server to actually input the player's commands in such a fashion that they did not experience lag. That same leg that could be the death of players. Last year, after several years of Edmas not doing anything about TerraProxy, decided out of the blue to take actions against the TerraProxy tool. The tool that for a large number of people specifically those on the west coast of the United States, needed in order to play the game. Like, at all. And of course, it was even more necessary for people even further away and out of the country. This was then followed up by NMAS Entertainment using an anti-spyware tool which made the inefficient game of Terra take up even more resources and make the game even slower. And now, last week, December, or I'm sorry, September 29th, Enmass Entertainment literally took the law to the developers of these tools using DMCA takedown notices a move that is legally questionable whether the terra proxy tool is in fact a violation of nmas entertainment's copyright and when anyone including myself now, tries to ask NMAS Entertainment why, or when are they going to actually strengthen connection of their servers, those people are then either ignored or silenced. This has now led tons of people who normally go to the North American Terra servers to try to connect to the European Terra servers in which they have found that those servers actually have good connection, and the game is actually playable. So the long-held rumor that it's Blue Hole Studios' fault for making a game that was so buggy has been false. It is, in fact, Mass Entertainment who does not have a who doesn't does does not have a good connection to their own servers now as i said earlier i tried to reach out to nmass entertainment and ask them have you ever tested your own connection cuz you do know your competition for the exact same game has a vastly superior connection to your own. 
No response. They don't care. It was made even worse and worse and worse by the fact that this company, Enmas, tries to put forward the facade that it actually listens to its player base and actually has a player council that is supposed to be the mediary between the community and the Enmas developers themselves. And sure enough, Enmas ignores their own player council as well. And has on record never actually listened to anything the player council has ever said. In fact, the only thing this player council seems to do is just run Twitch streams in which they just read off headlines from Enmas and then close up shop. That's it. They literally have less of a job than a co-host for a news station. The actual notice they have put out reads as follows. Dear all player, I'm sorry, dear all Terra players, we have recently issued some standard takedown requests to platforms around the internet where we found communities actively working on violating our terms of service. NMAS Entertainment has maintained a firm stance against third-party programs or mods that violate our terms and service. Let me interject. No, they haven't. They only started recently doing this within the last year and a half. Maybe two years. When the game was new, when the game was in its early stages, they let the tool Terra Proxy go solely because it was being used to connect to the game better and so that Enmas didn't actually have to, first off, A, actually rent good servers, and then B, actually request good service to those servers. In fact, just running a Minecraft server out of the 10-year-old systems I have over here in my apartment yields better ping than what Nmass Entertainment does. Their statement continues, We understand your frustration and regret and regret that this may have disrupted gameplay for some players. We took this action in an effort to protect the experience for those who play the game fairly and engage in the community positively. Let me interject. Yeah, fairly. Those people who dare to want to play a game with no lag or... Input stuttering or anything of that. Such terrible, terrible people. How dare they actually want to play a game that works? It continues The current situation does not justify abusive or toxic behavior directed at our employees or other players. 
Threads that are not constructive or violate our code of conduct will be closed or deleted. Disciplinary action will be taken against those players that display this behavior. What By this, what they mean is that anyone who dares to question us will be silenced. And granted, there are plenty of people who are angry about this and go above and beyond, but there are plenty of topics that are hosted on their posted on their support forum that take a professional tone and those posts are deleted. Not even closed. Deleted. We we love you Terra players and we understand that you're upset about this. We will investigate solutions that provide some of the benefits that these third-party services offered in a form that doesn't violate our terms of service. Please be patient with us and we'll see what we can come up with. We want to engage in constructive conversations about the future of Terra. Please contribute here. Come on, Enmas. Really? Several years later, and now you're gonna go, oh man, maybe we shouldn't have, maybe we should have something stronger than a DSL line going to a server. You're crying out loud. This isn't rocket science. The fact that your competition running the same game can do what you can't shows that this isn't difficult. This should have been a conversation you had with yourselves in year one. Oh, and by the way, if you actually want to have constructive conversations about this, tough luck, they're not going to talk to you. At all. They're not going to talk to me. They're not going to talk to any of the players that have been there since the beginning that have lived on the West Coast United States. By the way, their servers are located in Chicago. I live in southeastern Wisconsin, and I have trouble connections to their server that is within driving distance of my house. This doesn't take a genius to figure out there's a problem. But here's the thing. Let's take out the hacking element for a minute. Let's take out the element of the hackers who have developed Terra Proxy to make the game playable. Let's take that all out of the equation. Is this really how you behave en masse? Is it? This isn't professional. This is the equivalent of a child plugging their fingers into their ears and saying, la 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 I can't hear you, la 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 la, over and over and over again. 
You say you want to have a constructive, constructive conversation about the future of Terra, and yet all you do is do everything in your power to kill the game, to make it unplayable. That's a darn shame. A game that had so much potential. And all you do is ignore the player base, ignore the most dedicated fans of the game, and continue over and over and over again to just Blame the players, blame the customer for your problems. I hate to use this example, but I kind of have to. Even Electronic Arts knows better than to do this. Electronic Arts, as infamously bad of a publishing company there is in the world of gaming, at least listens to the players and actually takes action if they know they messed up. Enmass's behavior is Literally worse than EA. And that's a hard claim to make. It really is. Especially to actually invoke the law on something where, quite frankly, Enmas themselves don't have the legal standing for, at least as far as I see. You can argue that Terra Proxy, because it interferes the way the Terra client interacts with the server, is a violation of copyright. That's true, but Enmas doesn't own that copyright. Blue Hole does. And en masse, their contract with Blue Hole Studios does not include the ownership of that copyright. The thing is, is that the small group of hackers, they're never going to take en masse to court over this. They know it. In the end, en masse is just... A bully. Because they didn't like the fact that someone was able to do their job better than they could. And rather than just put on their big boy pants, actually try to go address the issue, this is the action they took. And rather than try to answer for it, Rather than talk about what can be done to fix the problem, 
they would rather just silence it. That's not a company I will ever support. And I highly recommend that if you that if anyone ever sees a game published by Enmas take what has happened here with North American Terra let that sink in that this is how Enmas behaves this is the mentality Enmas has where it's all about doing everything as cheap as possible as bad as possible ignoring their player base, ignoring their customer, and just doing whatever the heck they feel like. They don't care. And they don't deserve your business. They don't deserve my business either. Now then, let's drastically shift gears and put... The end mass story to rest. I'm not going to talk about it again unless I unless there's a major update out of end mass about it. I mean, because t- to me, Terra's dead now. It- it's dead, at least here in North America. Let's instead look at Windows 10, who was supposed to have a big, huge, major. Update for October. It was supposed to include features for ray tracing on the RTX cards so that that could start working. We were supposed to get all sorts of features to have Windows 10 sync great with Android phones. It was going to be fun and excitement everywhere. And even more features than that, but... There was one feature no one actually expected, and that was the feature to inexplicably move and delete user files around the system. Whoops! So yeah, if you're really looking forward to the Windows 10 update, um, don't quite grab it yet. There has been multiple reports about the Windows 10 October update moving files around, putting them where they shouldn't be, and in some cases, straight up deleting files, which is kind of a big deal. Like, really, really a big deal. So, yeah, I would highly recommend not grabbing the Windows 10 October update. And instead, yeah, just 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 wait a little bit. I do believe at this point the October update is being held back. You can no longer get it unless you're in like the Microsoft beta. And Microsoft is currently looking into how to fix this. Let's be real honest, just about everyone listening to me is not going to take that update until, like, the middle of November. That sounds about right, right? You're going to postpone that update as long as possible. 
I'm gonna be too. I know it's coming. I know Windows 10 is gonna force me to update. Which, by the way, as far as that goes, my iPhone hasn't forced me to update yet. Let that sink in, Microsoft. You guys force me into updates I don't want. Apple? No, they aren't. I can get it. I can go install the update right now. Right here, see? Render software update. Right there. Not doing it though. Actually, it's currently stuck on a spinning wheel saying checking for update. Maybe that's why it hasn't forced update me yet. It can't load it. Now, as a final note to the Windows 10 October update, it appears to only be files on the C drive that are affected. So only the primary boot drive that actually has Windows on it are affected. If you got files on other hard drives in the system or partitions on the same hard drive, those will not be affected. And as always, make sure you practice back backing up. Back up, 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 back up. Back up your stuff. Say it with me. Back up your stuff. Reminds me, I should back up my stuff. Alright, I talked about this on a early bird briefing earlier in the week. But uh, I haven't talked about it here, and it's, it should be known, because this actually is an issue that is still un- un- unaddressed. Uh, the iPhone XS and XS Max are currently out. People can buy them. And uh, they are not charging through the lightning cable. Now, it comes and goes, really. A lot of users are saying that sometimes their charging charging cable through the lightning cable just only charges part way. Others are saying that it only charges when the screen is on. Others are saying it just doesn't charge at all. So we're getting a lot of mixed results, but wireless charging is not affected. So it's either a widespread problem hardware-wise with the mechanisms that accept the lightning cable, or it's a software issue. It's hard to say which one it is. But, uh, yeah, you might want to... I'd hold off. I mean, I would hold off anyway on an XS or XS Max just because... They cost a kidney, and I am still not a fan of that design. But that's just me. There's also some people saying they're having poor cellular reception. But it's hard to say how reliable those claims are. All right, let's shift gears to something a little political, but not really. So long, long ago, we talked about how 
the state of California tried passing their own net neutrality law after Verizon Wireless was throttling the cell phones of their firefighters because they exceeded the group data plan. Now, I argued on an earlier, early bird briefing that the fans of net neutrality that were trying to claim that, yes, this whole thing is a net neutrality issue, and if net neutrality wasn't repealed, this would this would be solved. I would also like to point out again that, did you know that um, these unlimited plans that are not really unlimited were passed while net neutrality was in effect? But in any case, uh, California's trying to pass their own law for net neutrality and enforce net neutrality on the state of California and would also enforce debt neutrality outside of the state of California because that's kind of how the internet works. A law passed in one area kind of affects almost all of the internet in the same manner that the copyright laws of the UK, I'm sorry, not the UK, the European Union, actually affects pretty much everyone, or they can at least. Well... The Department of Justice kind of figured that out, too, and are like, yeah, um, no. You're kind of stepping on our toes here. And are, in fact, suing the state of California because they are trying to enforce a law that they have no legal authority to enforce. Now, a lot of them, a lot of, I'm sorry, a lot of them, a lot of the stories talking about this, such as the one I have from Ars Technica, want to use the headline that DOJ claims Californian net neutrality law causes irreparable harm to U.S., First off, they're doing this for a reason. Most of the stories are doing this because saying that the net neutrality law caused irreparable harm sounds ridiculous. But this is common talks when you're placing a lawsuit. 90% of all lawsuits say the words irreparable harm somewhere in the lawsuit. It's kind of almost required words. But that's not the key point. The key point of the lawsuit is the fact that California is trying to enforce a law that affects more than California. You can't do that. State law affects those interacting with the state. Plain and simple. I have a hard time imagining this lawsuit doesn't succeed, but you never know. I'm actually not going to talk about I, I was about to switch over to the talks of Facebook facing a $1.63 billion fine for their most recent data breach, but 
that's all there is to it. Plus, I talked about that more in detail on an early bird briefing. So, earlier in the week, though, we did have a massive dump of new Microsoft Surface products, basically touching on the Surface products that weren't touched during the last update. Before we had an update that gave us the Surface Go and an updated Surface Book. Well, this update touches literally everything else. First off, we have a new Surface Pro 6, which is the full-sized Surface tablet, which I believe uses a 12, yeah, 12.3 inch display. Can go up to one terabyte of SSD storage, starting at 128 gigabytes. We've got supposedly up to 13 hours of battery life, more than likely less if you're using it for something more intensive. 8 or 16 gigabytes of RAM, both are, mm, I love that RAM, that is a lot of RAM. Integrated Intel graphics, the UHD 620 graphics to be specific, they're okay. They are, they are very okay. Either an 8th generation Core i5 or Core i7 CPU, a full-size USB 3 port, a headphone jack that Microsoft was not brave enough to eliminate, mini display port, a Surface Connect port, a Surface Type Cover port, that's the bottom cover, bottom port that the keyboard connects to, a micro SD card reader, and it is compatible with the Surface Dial. It comes with Windows 10 Home, no little subversion of Windows 10 here. It includes all the bells and whistles. This is going to be a 1.7 pound tablet with one year warranty and is available in black, which is new. It starts at $900, and for funsies, what's the most expensive it can get? $2,300 it can go up to. Do not get a $2,300 Surface tablet. That is crazy. Don't do that. Friends don't let friends spend $2,300 on a tablet that has integrated Intel graphics. Just don't do that. Now, the one thing I'm noticing is I don't see what exactly is the CPU in it. What's the core count in it? Are we talking quad-core? Is it the full-blown 8-core CPU? We're not getting that here. Which is kind of a shame. I would love to know... If this is going to be the first x86 hex core tablet. Unfortunately, we don't know. Hmm. Now, if it were me, here would be my configuration. I would get... Wait. Hold up here. So I'm going through, so the only way you can get 
128 gigabytes of storage is if you go with the silver one. If you go for black, the cheapest it'll be is $1,200. Which I'm not going to lie, is pretty disappointing. Uh, if I was to build one, I guess I would go the base model. 8 gigabytes Core i5, 128 gigs of storage. $900 is about the top end I would spend on a tablet. Especially considering you have to shell out another $100 for the keyboard cover that literally everyone wants. Alright, in addition, we have an updated Surface Laptop 2. Which you should not buy. I mean, which has plenty of updated features such as new processors. And that's about it. The colors are exactly the same. The build quality looks exactly the same. It has more ports than your average Apple MacBook. But that's saying literally nothing. And uh, that that's basically it. 8th generation process. Oh, I'm sorry. It now has black as an option. And starts weighing at 2.7 pounds. I'm not going to lie. Don't buy this either. Just don't. Friends don't let friends buy bad hardware. The laptop starts at $1,000. Just don't do it. I mean, this is a better option than getting, say, a MacBook, but that's about it. But just for funsies, the absolute top price is $2,700. Don't do it. Just don't do it. The, the surface the, the surface laptop is terrible. It's unrepairable, it's glued and sealed together, and it's way overpriced for what it is. Just don't do it. There's better answers. Go go contact me on Twitter or Discord. I will find you a better do, I will find you a better laptop to buy. I guarantee you I can do that. Alright, we have a new updated Surface Studio 2. This is the all-in-one desktop that Microsoft has that is specifically geared towards drawing, towards being creative, towards being a better iMac than the iMac, which is not very hard, unfortunately. And that's more sad for the iMac. I believe our new updates here is basically that, well, it's not much really. <laughs> new new processors, new storage options. It can go up to two terabytes of storage. Eighth generation Core i7. I don't believe it actually has updated graphics. Let me actually double check on the graphics. Oh no, this is still the seventh generation processor. Oh. 
Oh. The only update is the fact that the GPUs are now offered in a 1060 and a 1070. Oh. That's not good. I wouldn't get this either. Oh, oh lord. Oh yeah, and a boot. It starts at $3,500 and goes up to $4,800. What? We can do better. Hello there, children. We can do better than that. Again, same sort of story with the Surface Laptop. Go contact me on Twitter. Go contact me on Discord. Contact me anyway. I can find you something better. It's not hard. And it won't be a Mac either. And the other, our last one is actually a really, a real big oddball. Like, I want you to, to look at this. This thing is, it's a new product out in this update called the Surface Headphones. The smarter way to listen. Wh why? Who woke up in the morning and decided, yes, I need Microsoft branded headphones? Because if there's a company I trust for sound, it's the company that continuously over and 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 over again tries to go ahead and make sure there is some new annoying update to generate new sounds in my ear. Why? The unfortunate thing is that we don't know a whole lot other than there are touch controls on the sides of the headphones. They are, in fact, over-ear headphones, unlike the Apple-branded wireless headphones, which are, in fact, just earbuds that go that, that look kind of awkward, honestly. E even though the AirPods are pretty old now... They still look super awkward to me. Not a fan. Would not do. Apparently up to 15 hours of playback life. I would certainly hope so. They are big over-the-ear headphones. They weigh less than a pound. They are only available in light gray. Not to be confused with silver. There's a difference. And what else can you say? There's not much here, to be perfectly honest. We don't even have a price yet. And as far as over-the-ear headphones go, they look pretty basic. I would actually argue these, like, no-brand studio headphones I use here for recording actually look a little better. But not by much. And these are just nothing. They're branded with an S. Oh, actually, there is a brand on top. Samson. S-A-M-S-O-N. I have no idea who that is. Oh yes, Unjust Banana in the chat does, does remind me. They do have Cortana support. 
Because that's what you need in headphones. You need to have your virtual assistant built into your headphones. I don't know. I'm not feeling these. I really am not. I I, I try. Despite the fact that I pretty much ripped on everything today. I really do try to try and find what the use case is for this. And I'm not going to lie. I don't see the use case for a super expensive high-end tablet that has a an ultra-low voltage processor and no discrete graphic card. Like, the only Surface Pro model I would get is the absolute cheapest one. The Surface Laptop 2, a laptop I can never surf, service and starts at $1,000. No, I'm never going to do that. An all-in-one desktop with no serviceability, no upgrade, and no path towards the future, starting at... $3,500. No, there's a better way to spend your money. Headphones with Cortana built into them. No. Just no. Although apparently my fashion sense is being brought into question by the chat. Um, They're saying they look nice. I don't think they look nice. I, I really don't. I'm definitely not going to be a customer of this. But that'll be that. What I am actually a fan of, which actually does show where my fashion sense lies, is that Dell has announced, after 10 kajillion years, a new Alienware laptop that is specifically designed to be thin and carryable, unlike every other Alienware laptop since the dawn of Alienware. So Alienware, if you somehow don't know, is originally a is originally a company that solely specialized in computing hardware way, 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 way back in the day. And around the dawn of the Core 2 era, Dell bought Alienware. And now Alienware is a branch of Dell. And the Alienware purists forever will say this is where Alienware died. I will say that this is where Alienware actually got to do something. Because before all Alienware could do is build custom desktops like I could in my living room. And buy off-the-shelf Clevo laptops and just pretty them up a little bit. In fact, a lot of the lighting was just mounting LEDs through cracks where the seams of plastic met, and that was it. There really wasn't much design Alienware could put into laptops. Now that they are a part of Dell and have been for a long time, they can do stuff like this. Which is making a thin, sleek... Though heavily gaming-esque gaming laptop for gaming, and no other reason other than gaming, machine. So it's about the size of a razor blade. And I mean the laptop, not an actual shaving razor blade that's millimeters thick. 
This thing is, I'm trying to find the, the thickness parameters on this article, and I don't seem to have them, which is a very strange omission. How did they not, how did they forget to do this? Am I blind? They literally have every other number other than the dimensions of the laptop here on this PC Perspective article. What the heck? I'm disappointed. Anyway, very very thin laptop, weighs just under 5 pounds. Just still on the heavy side, but you've got a lot of hardware to deal with here. Ventilation on this thing is absolutely insane. Half of the sides and half of the back is nothing but ventilation to try and cool down the core i7 processor in there and the overclocked GTX 1060. Now, this is a 15-inch laptop. Alright? And it is a very gaming-esque laptop. It is not a MacBook, as Rainbow Cap in the chat pointed out. It's also not a MacBook in the fact that it has this crazy thing called hardware. I know. Blows me away. It also has actual ports. Now, interestingly enough, and this is actually probably the most interesting thing about this laptop, it does include... Alienware's proprietary PCI Express cable they call the the graphics amplifier port in which you connect this thick cable to that port and you can use an external GPU with your laptop. But here's the twist. This laptop also has a Thunderbolt 3 port, which is the industry standard port for using external GPUs. So, in theory, you should be able to use both the proprietary Alienware external GPU system, if you so chose, or use one that's more common to the rest of the world, MSI makes one, Razer makes one, Asus, I'm sure, makes one that's over the top. Gigabyte, I know, makes one. Plenty of companies make Thunderbolt 3 external GPUs. Some of which are modular, just like the Alienware one is. And they should, in theory, work with this. And of course, because this isn't some gimped laptop, it does have its own internal, pretty decent, pretty powerful graphic card. We look forward to seeing more. I kind of like this this side of Alienware, though it does look like they sacrificed a bit on the lights. I know previous versions had... 
more lights around the frame of the screen. I don't see a whole lot of that going on. It doesn't look like the trackpad lights up like the previous one, so... The 12-year-old in me that likes pretty lights everywhere is a little disappointed. But of course, we'll find out more when it's launched and also what the price is going to be. Oh, never mind. It's going to start at $1,300. We now know. I apologize about my phone going off. Let's instead talk about how HP made a laptop made of leather. And I don't mean they made a standard aluminum laptop and then put a leather coating on it. I mean it's actually constructed from leather. Yes, the HP Spectre Folio. Which is pretty much HP's Surface competitor. It's a tablet with a soft keyboard cover, and with a bit of adjustment, it becomes a laptop, or you just fold it, it becomes a really thin, portable computing device. It's a form factor I have mixed feelings about, but I'm more okay with it than I am other oddball form factors out there. It's small, it's sleek, it's nice, and if it's cheap enough, I'd say, hey, it makes a really good portable machine. You go, Folio. The more surprising thing is the fact that it is actually constructed of genuine leather. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little... I have some... What's the right word I'm looking for? I don't think this is a good idea. Because I don't know what sort of internal heat shielding they have to protect the leather from the heat of the machine. Because this thing is going to pack either a Core i5 or a Core i7. More than likely it's going to be an ultra low voltage version of it. Which, once again, just like with the Surface laptops, bring me to wonder, okay, Intel, please, can you please make it more clear what is or isn't a Core i5 or a Core i7? I am getting absolutely sick of finding out, oh, it's the dual-core Core i7, as opposed to the six-core Core i7 that is... A thousand percent faster than the dual core variant. Why? Why have these radical, outlandish differences between mod- between processor models with the same name? Stop it! You're not helping anyone. You got close to being helpful when you had Core M3, Core M5, Core M7. Core i3, Core i5, Core i7. That was closer to being helpful, and that is gone! So I have no idea how much heat this thing is going to put out, but if it is a full-blown Core i7 in there, and that it is six cores, and that it pumps out enough heat that Apple has no idea how to cool it, though granted Apple has no idea how to cool anything, 
What's it going to do to the leather? Is there just going to be this dried out, crackling part of your laptop where the processor is? Now this thing is packing 16 gigs of RAM and a 2 terabyte SSD of storage, along with up to supposedly 18 hours of battery life on a charge. Which would probably lead me to believe that it's a dual core version of the Core i7. Maybe a quad core, but it's going to be ultra low voltage either way. Pricing is going to start at $1,300 for the Core i5 version. Now, I'm not going to lie. This laptop does make me a little happy to see exist. If only because every single getting in my face preaching vegan is literally going to hiss and run away from this laptop if I hold it up. Like a vampire runs from someone holding up a bulb of garlic. Or a cross. That's about the best pro I've got for this. Or, you know, the pro of just showing up at your business meeting with your all-leather laptop and just going, yeah, I'm that important. And you're nothing. Enjoy your plastic laptop, you pleb. I am going to enjoy my squeaky leather laptop. Yes. It's perfect. Kind of like how perfect the mythical, legendary Core i9-9900K We finally got a look at this mythical processor, the 8-core, 16-thread, 9th-generation processor that's supposed to be coming out soon, trademark. And for, honestly, not a bad price, all things considered. Now, this is still a high price for a processor. Don't get me wrong. The Core i9-9900K is being listed, apparently, according to this premature post, for $582.50. And it is stored inside a, what would that be, a pentalobular box? Dodecahedron box? I'm not... I'm not gonna lie. I completely forgot what the name of the shape is. But it's basically, a, it's basically the exact shape of a 12-sided die. 12 sides to this box. So, when it comes in the mail... It's gonna be super awkward. And remember, this thing is just the processor. I actually just can't wait to see the benchmarks of this thing. 
and again, don't get me wrong, $600 is expensive for a processor. I get that. But compared to the Core i9 Black Edition processors that were all sorts of absolute insanity for prices. $600 is not bad. It's unnecessary, but not bad. In unrelated news, though, uh, Verizon is soon going to be offering... 5G home internet service for $50 a month or $70 a month for those who are not already Verizon customers. Now, this is only available in certain places. But what this is basically is a wireless modem that converts the new 5G wireless signal into LAN Ethernet. It converts it into wired internet that all your devices at home can use or into Wi-Fi. So already we're starting to see 5G rollout. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Currently... Only available in... All right, here we go. The initial rollout is in Houston, Indianapolis, Los Angeles, and Sacramento. And plans on expanding coverage completely. Unjust Banana says in the chat that it does not follow standards. What do you mean? What do you mean that it does not follow standards? I'm not sure how it doesn't follow the standards. Five G home will not be compatible with five G five G phones. No, 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 no. Okay. Yes and no. Okay. So here's the thing. This is not. A device that broadcasts a 5G signal. That's not what this is. This is a receiver that is receiving a 5G wireless signal from a 5G cellular tower and converting that into either hard Ethernet or to Wi-Fi that your home devices will take. This is replacing your home service and using the 5G wireless signal from a cellular tower. It will still be compatible with 5G phones in the sense that those phones will just receive the Wi-Fi. But it doesn't matter because if you're in those areas and you're already a Verizon customer... You can already use their 5G. 
Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Uh, what Unjust is saying is that Verizon is using their own definition of 5G. Okay, that it's not what is considered... Oh, yeah, we're we're getting back to... <laughs> I had a feeling this was going on. Actually, first off, I don't I don't know if there actually are true 5G phones. Now, if you have a 5G if you have a quote-unquote 5G phone from Verizon, it will work with that in the same way that a 4G AT&T phone will work with their GSM Plus network which they tried to call 4G. But that wasn't true 4G because 4G referred to LTE. All right, I I I see what's going on here. I see, I see. But I mean, if it is a Verizon five G phone, it should work with it, because it is still what Verizon is considering five G. But this starts going to the now. Come on, you're just calling things for the sake of calling things. You just wanted that five G buzzword, and in this case, yeah. If that is the case, I would not doubt it at all. In fact, the speeds that are actually listed here on the article for what Verizon's home for 5G will, will do, that actually does kind of fit. It says that the network speeds will be around 300 megabytes per second, which is about the expected speeds of LTE+. Plus. So, I mean, yeah, surprise, surprise. A cell phone service tried to claim that they're a generation ahead when they're not. I'm not too surprised. They just wanted to be the the first commercial quote-unquote 5G service. But here's actually where I'm going with this. All right. Let's set aside the technicalities of what's 5G or not. It's not stable. Let's be bluntly honest here. Getting home internet this way is not stable. If you're trying to do something like what I do, where you are hosting multiple servers that provide services or stream and upload content to YouTube and Twitch, the connection is not stable and you're going to have problems. The connection just drops a bunch of packets all of a sudden. Oops, you're SOL. My bad, guys. Ha <laughs> ha, sucks to suck. You know, what are you going to do about it? You can't, because there's no hard, dedicated line. You're just relying on the wireless signal, which can be very easily interfered, which can be easily interfered by even just, you know, changes in the air pressure can mess with it. And here's the thing. 
it's not this isn't new. It's new in the fact that this is the first one that's being called 5G. But this sort of thing's been done in the past. It's been done by AT&T, it's been done by Verizon. And in fact, as Unjust Banana in the chat said, they do this a lot in the UK in areas where they don't want to run lines. And for basic usage, it's going to be fine. I still would not use this if you needed a stable connection for, say, 15 gigabyte video uploads or streaming for eight hours a day up to Twitch that you wanted the best crisp, crisp, blah, 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 the best crisp signal with no drop frames, assuming you're not using a terrible laptop like I am up to the system. You want the best of the best. You want something that is hardlined. You want something that cannot be easily interfered because it's super humid or super dry or whatever the heck it would be that would interfere with the signal. It seems to always be humidity that affects it more than dry air. But then again, I'm also, you know, I'm currently measuring cellular connections with an iPhone that is known to have its primary connection chip just pop off. So, I guess that's not a good tool to measure with. Alright, let's just, alright, we're already 10 minutes beyond what I hoped to talk about for. Let's just quickly run through some of these smaller stories I got left. The Nintendo Switch apparently is having a VR headset being made for it by a third-party developer. They call themselves NS Glasses and are using kind of color tricks inside the headset itself to make any game that does not support 3D actually support 3D with this headset. I can't imagine this is going to end well. I I just can't. The quality of this thing just sounds like even duct taping a cell phone to your face is going to be better. And speaking of routers, we have Razer announcing the world's first gaming router for gaming, doing gaming. That will boost gaming. It's called the Razer Scylla, and I don't know why you would buy this. I don't mean to make fun of Razer, but come on! Come on! What is this router gonna do that a good high-end router doesn't? Let's be honest for a second here. What is it going to do that other routers don't? I mean, seriously. So we've got quality of service tools within the router that make it so that all gaming traffic automatically 
has a higher priority than any other traffic on the network. Uh, first off, my first question is, um, doesn't every router have Q- QoS ability on it? In fact, mine, the router I'm using, its QoS is so good, I can tell it to say, hey, you're going to prioritize all traffic to this particular port over all others. I can go in and make it so that my streaming laptop and my game server have the highest priority. My gaming desktop and my other laptop that I use have the next highest priority. And that my upload server, the one that actually uploads videos to YouTube and Twitch, has the lowest priority. And in fact, except for the one time where my IP address on the laptop changed once, it's worked perfectly. Would the Razer router routers stop that? Would it automatically detect, oh, hey, look, your laptop uh, it its IP changed inside the network, and therefore, um, we're going to just keep that at the highest one. It doesn't say that. It actually just goes on and on and on about how our quality of service ensures the best gaming. Unjust Banana says they should have added more RGB options. Yeah, right? There's no RGB on this at all. The design of the router actually is shockingly simple as well. It is just a black brick. I'm just in the chat says you should have done QoS based on MAC address. Yeah, I absolutely should have. That's my bad. Anyway, 802.11n up to 400 gigabytes per second. 802.11ac up to either 866 megabytes per second or 1.7 megabytes per second. Or megabits, not megabytes. Megabits per second. So 1.3 gigabits per second is apparently possible but will never be achieved because it's never achieved. I don't know. Here's what I see on this. I see a router that looks hilariously simple with not a whole lot of ventilation. There's some on the sides, but there's not a whole lot. With a lot of promises, not a lot of evidence of being able to perform on those promises. And a pretty high price tag. We're talking a $250 price tag in the U.S. and a 300 euro price tag in Europe. Actually, isn't the Europe's isn't isn't the Europe isn't the euro still more expensive than the dollar? Like, the euro, I'm pretty sure, is still stronger, right? 
So does that mean Razor is putting on a Europe tax? Huh. Pretty hefty tax there. 50 euro markup just for being in Europe? Plus the conversion rate? Man. And then I can... And then let's put this by comparison. I paid $180 for my laptop, for my, my laptop, my router. All right. That was also an expensive router, but it does all this. It does everything this router does and give me more control. Oh, that's true. Un- unjust reminds me something that I should have known and the fact that, uh, the EU is going to tax that higher themselves just because they put a higher tax on electronics. So that's why. That's still hefty, though. I mean, dang. You should smuggle electronics into Europe. That That's definitely going to not end badly for yourselves. Even so, I wouldn't do this. Just don't do it. There's better choices out there. All right, let's move on to our last story, the last burb, which you're, which we are now 17 minutes over time for. Nintendo has patented a playable Game Boy phone case. This is a real thing. I want to point that out. This is a real thing. There is actually... A folio-style Game Boy case with a window in it and buttons built into the case that is just on a flap and when it's placed over the phone, the buttons will actually work and interact with any sort of software that supports this. More than likely, seeing as how Nintendo themselves are the ones who patented it, it is probably safe to say that we can see down the road... A phone app that will bring Game Boy emulation to your phone. As long as you have this case. I don't know what else to say to that. I really don't. Is this going to be Nintendo's way of saying, yeah, we're going to go make the... um, The Game Boy Classic. It's just going to be a... However many dollar app on your phone. Hmm. I wonder. It actually would be smarter to do it as... Multiple apps. And just do that sort of push out for that. That's going to do it for me, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Feel free to also check out the daily podcast, The Early Bird Briefing, on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And also check out my gaming Twitch page at twitch.tv slash eaglefalcon where we have all sorts of fun. Take care. See you next time.